Now, today, did anyone know what today is in the Christian calendar? Palm Sunday, excellent. And so we're going to be using the Palm Sunday passages as I introduce Jesus to you. And we're going to be basing ourselves in the Gospel of Luke. Now, there are four Gospels all about the life of Jesus. And Palm Sunday happens in every single one of those four Gospels. So in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we can read about Palm Sunday. But we're going to be basing ourselves in Luke. So if you want to go to Luke, excuse me, chapter 19, verses 28 to 40, it will appear on the screen behind me. And it already has. Wow. He's quick, isn't he? So, Luke, chapter 19, verse 28 to 40. After Jesus had said this, he went to the head, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colts, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colts? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Heavenly Father, I pray, would you send your Holy Spirit to come right now? And Lord, I pray, would you introduce Jesus? to people here in this room. Holy Spirit, for those of us who know Jesus already and may have known him for a long time, would we have fresh revelation of who he is? And for those who don't know Jesus, for those who currently are not a follower of him, I pray, introduce Jesus to them today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So before we crack on with introducing Jesus to you, it's good for us to know who this guy Luke is. Because the account of Jesus' life is called Luke because he wrote it. So Luke wrote all this stuff and he was a doctor. And Luke, as a doctor, some people are doctors on here, I know. And doctors tend to have evidence. They like to have a reason for things. And it's exactly the same with Luke. Luke, at the start of his gospel, at the start of his book, he says that he's writing an orderly account of all that has happened to Jesus. He says that he's included eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts. So we've just been reading here with Palm Sunday. I don't know if Luke was there or not, he might have been. But if he wasn't, he's probably had a conversation with someone who was there. He spoke to them and said, tell me what happened when Jesus went into Jerusalem? What was that about? And it's an eyewitness account who has shared this story with Luke, and that's why Luke has written it down. And so it means that we can have certainty of the things that happened to Jesus' life. 
Some of you in here might think, is the Bible a reliable place for Will to introduce Jesus to you from? And I'm telling you, it is. It's a reliable source. It is valid. And if any of you have got any questions about the validity of the Bible, I would love to talk with you about that in further detail. Because I tell you, this is a reliable historical source. The Bible, the Word of God, and one book written by Luke. So, introducing Jesus to you. First thing that one would usually say when they're introducing themselves is their name. So our first question, what is Jesus' name? You're probably thinking, well, that's a stupid question, mate. What is Jesus' name? You just told us what his name is and who he is in the question itself. But all names have, have a meaning to them. So my name is Will. It's William. And do you know what William means? Apparently, it means strength. That's right. I'm strong, apparently. But every name has a meaning. And the name of Jesus means the Lord sends. We read that in Matthew, in chapter 1, when we're reading about like the Christmas story. <coughs> the angel says to Mary, you will call him Jesus, because he will save. The Lord saves. Now, all the other gospel accounts of Palm Sunday, so in Matthew, in Mark, and in John, the disciples, when Jesus is entering into the city, they all shout, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. We don't read that in Luke, but we read that in the other three. And the word Hosanna means save. They're actually shouting, save, save, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They might not know how Jesus is going to save, or they might have a wrong idea of how Jesus will save. They could have been thinking that this Jesus is going to save them from Roman oppression at the time. Who knows what they thought? Either way, they knew that he saves, that he is going to save them. They're actually saying that he is fulfilling his name, the meaning of his name, the Lord saves. And they are declaring on Palm Sunday, this Jesus is fulfilling the meaning of his name. Throughout the Bible, Jesus has many other names. The way, the truth, the life, that's what he calls himself. He calls himself the Good Shepherd. He calls himself the Alpha and the Omega. The Bible also includes uh, him calling him, you know, being called Wonderful Counselor and the Prince of Peace. But Jesus is also called the King. He's called the King in this passage. Verse 38. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. They're calling him the King. He is the King. And then they go on to say, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're telling us something a little bit about Jesus' kingship. He is the king of peace. And he is the king of heaven. And he is the king of glory too. So today, you are here and you are in need of some peace. But Jesus is the king of peace. If you are here and you are thinking, I really want to go to heaven... I want to go to heaven when I die. Jesus is the king of heaven. This person who I'm introducing to you is the right guy to know if you want to go to heaven. Jesus is the king of all glory.
King of Glory. Close your eyes for a moment. Everyone close your eyes. And I want you to think and imagine the most glorious thing. What is the most glorious thing that you can imagine? Now me, I am a Man United fan. Do you know what I'm picturing? I'm picturing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer scoring that last minute winner to pick up the Champions League. That's a glorious moment in my mind. Open your eyes. You can open your eyes now. Now I don't know what you were picturing of the most glorious thing. Most likely it's probably not a Man United player scoring a goal. Sometimes I can think of Wayne Rooney scoring an overhead kick and think, oh that was an amazing moment. But no, not the most glorious thing ever. In truth, in all honesty, when I think of something glorious, I can think of the stars. I can think of the night sky. Looking up and you can see, yeah, if you've been somewhere where there's not much light pollution, you can see the stars. And they are glorious. It is amazing. Jesus is the king of all glory. He is the king of the most glorious thing you can imagine. He is the king of the stars. He is the king of creation. In fact, later on in this passage, which we were just reading just now, Jesus said to, uh, to, to the Pharisees who were saying, tell your disciples to be quiet. Jesus said, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Jesus is saying creation will cry out. Creation wants to glorify him. Creation was made by him and for him so that the creation itself would glorify Jesus. Jesus is the king of creation and he's the king of glory. He is the king of everything. And if he is the king of everything, then you know what that means? He's the king of you too. He is the king over your life. You might not believe in Jesus. You might not be a follower of him. But let me tell you, he is the king over you. He is the king over everything. But he's a different type of king. He's not the type of king which we could imagine. And that can lead us on to our next introductory question. And this one I'm going for is, where is he going? Now you might think, okay, if I'm introducing myself, why would I tell them where I'm going? Well, if you're on a train or on a bus, you might tell someone where you're going to. So that's like my shoehorning it in, where you are going. And we can ask this question here, where is Jesus going? In this passage, we see Jesus is going into Jerusalem. He's actually left another city called Jericho, and he's walked, walked the majority of that time from Jericho to the outskirts of Jerusalem. And then he enters into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. We're actually given the mode of transport. Isn't that interesting? Well, it is interesting. It's actually a significant thing for us to think about. You see, if Jesus is a king, how would we expect him to enter into a major city like Jerusalem? In that era, 2,000 years ago, we can think of maybe on a war horse, this beautiful, majestic, huge war horse, and the king is entering in, he's showing, look at the power that I have. Look at who I am. Look at this amazing horse that I'm riding. That's what an earthly king might do. But Jesus, the heavenly king, he comes riding on a donkey. And it's probably likely that this donkey had never been ridden before, ever. The first time this donkey's been, been ridden somewhere. 
I I don't think I've been trying to wrap my brain. I think have I ever been on a donkey ride at the beach? Anyone been on a donkey ride at the beach? Yeah, yeah. Oh, a lot of you. More. Well, that donkey has probably been ridden a fair few times. It's probably not the most comfortable ride, you know, in the world uh, when you're on the back of a donkey on the beach. But it will have been ridden a few times. You would be used to it. This donkey's never been ridden before, and it's taken a fully grown man in his thirties riding it. It could have looked a little bit clumsy, dare I say. It might not have looked that impressive. It really wouldn't have looked impressive at all. Jesus, the King of everything, the King of glory, humbles himself to ride a donkey into Jerusalem. Now, he is fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy when doing that. Um, a few hundred years before Jesus had uh, come uh, to earth, a uh, prophet had said that the king would come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey knees. He is fulfilling that. But it's something for us to remember that this king is different. An earthly king would ride on a war horse into the city of Jerusalem, usually with something in his mouth. I want to slaughter all of my foes. I want to destroy all the people here and claim this city as mine. That's what an earthly king might do. Jesus enters the city to be slaughtered. Very different. Where as an earthly king would go in to slaughter, Jesus goes in to be slaughtered. Where is Jesus going? Yes, he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to the cross. That's where he knows he's going. In just a few short days, Jesus would be murdered and crucified on the cross. And that is where he is heading towards. We sang to start. Jesus is the king. The king who rescues. I thought, come on, what a start. What a start. Jesus is the king and he's the king who rescues. Because the reason why he is going to be slaughtered is to save us. And that leads us to our next introductory question. What does Jesus do? How does he spend his time almost? Jesus spends his time saving. It is in his name. Jesus is the Lord who saves. That is what he does all the time. Palm Sunday is five days before Good Friday. So five days time, we have Good Friday. And you heard it from Dan just now. In a week's time, it's Easter Sunday. Before Good Friday and before Easter Sunday is the Jewish festival called the Passover. And the Passover is something which the Jewish people were supposed to celebrate every single year. And I think they do do that now, but they didn't do it back then. The Jewish Passover, they celebrate every year remembering something that happened a thousand or so years before this moment. The Passover was a moment when God's people were enslaved by the Egyptians. So, a thousand or so years before Jesus entering into Jerusalem on the donkey, the God's people, the Israelites, were enslaved by the Egyptians. And God wanted to set his people free. Set them free from the slavery that they were under. And to do that, God did a load of amazing miracles to set them free. But Pharaoh, the 
the king of Egypt. No, your people cannot go. They must stay here and be slaves. And the final thing which God does is he chooses to send an angel of the Lord to come and kill the firstborn of everything. And God said to Moses, he said, kill a lamb and put the blood of the lamb around the doorframe. And when the angel of the Lord comes through, he will see the blood of the lamb on the doorframe and he will pass by, he won't kill the firstborn. At this moment that Jesus is going into Jerusalem, lambs were being brought in from nearby fields. Shepherds bring their lambs in to the city to be slaughtered and eaten at the Passover. And at that moment, Jesus himself is being led into the city. Lambs were being slaughtered to remember the, the Passover meal. And the Lamb of God was being brought into the city too to also be killed, to be brought into, be killed in our place. You see, Jesus' blood was poured out for me and for you. The Israelites were under slavery of the Egyptians. We are under slavery of sin. Sin is bad stuff. We can't get away from it. Sin is the thing that messes our lives up. It's the things we just naturally do. To live without sin would be to say that you're the most perfect person ever, that you have never done anything wrong, that you've never thought anything wrong. That is what to be without sin is. It is to be perfect. None of us can make that claim, can we? Am I perfect? No. Are you perfect? No. We are all not perfect. We have all sinned. We are all under the slavery of sin. And being under the slavery of sin means we deserve death. That's what we deserve. But where the blood of, uh, where the lamb was killed and the blood of the lamb was put over the doorframe, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, the blood, his blood, is covering us. It's protecting us. Because God poured out his wrath upon Jesus as he died. Jesus was the man who had never sinned. He was perfect. The only person ever to have existed to be perfect is Jesus. And he took the punishment that those who have been enslaved by sin deserved. He died. And we need to accept him as our sacrifice so that his blood protects us from what we deserve. Today, some of you may not have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Jesus is introducing himself to you. He's telling you his name, and he's telling you where he's going and what he does. He's saying, I am the king, and you must accept that. You have no right to be near me, but I have made a way so that you can come. Come to me. You heard Steve's wonderful prayer just now. He said, come to me. Come to me. That's what Jesus is calling to some of you. Come to me. Maybe you have made a commitment to Jesus before, but you have not been walking with him recently. He's saying, come to me. Recommit yourself to me. Make me uh, your Lord again. Come to me. Accept me as your Lord and Saviour. When we introduce ourselves, we can include 
what we love doing too. And it probably uh, becomes pretty clear what Jesus loves doing. What does Jesus do? He saves. It's also the thing which he loves doing. I love playing football. <laughs> and I love spotting Man United, although it becomes difficult sometimes. More so recently. But Jesus loves saving. It says in Hebrews, another part of the Bible, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The pain of the cross, the separation from God. You know, when, you, when, when someone was crucified, not only did they have the nails put through their hands and through their feet, and that was painful, obviously, but they're suffocating. Jesus is going through so much pain as he's on the cross. Physical pain, spiritual pain from being separated from God in that moment. Jesus had never experienced that. And he's experiencing that on the cross. He did that for the joy that was set before him. And that joy is seeing us saved. He loves saving. Earlier in Luke chapter 19, see that was the passage we were based in if you've forgotten. Luke, Luke chapter 19, right at the start, Luke is with a guy called Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus' life is completely transformed from this time of Jesus. Jesus says that he came to seek and save the lost. That's what he loves doing. He loves saving. He wants to save you today if you don't know him. Jesus' purpose on earth was to seek and save the lost. And if you are a Christian, like me, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know what Christian means? It means little Christ. We are like little Jesuses, you know. That means our purpose too is to, is to seek the lost and see them saved by him. It's our, it's our purpose. It's what we are, are called to do. We are called to give the wonderful news of Jesus to people. So, I'm just going to spend a moment talking about introducing Jesus to others. So I've spoken about introducing Jesus, so now we're going to talk about introducing Jesus to, to others around us. Now in this passage, which we were in, Luke 19, in verse 39, it says this, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Today, that is what the world would say to us. The world is a bit like the Pharisees here. The world would say, be quiet. Be quiet. You don't need to talk about that. Keep your mouth shut. It's great for you. You don't need to tell the people. Guys, the news I've just shared is the best news ever. And Jesus says that if the people don't cry out, the rocks will. We are better at declaring God's glory than the rocks are. Bold claim I know. Do rocks have mouths? No. Could God give a rock a mouth? Maybe. Won't go down that right hole. But the point is, is that we are made in the image of God. We are made in God's image. We can declare God's glory and tell people the good news of Jesus. And when the world says, shush, shush, be quiet, we must stand firm. We must stand firm against that. We must continue to be bold and telling people the good news of Jesus. So in this passage, 
we can see a few things that the disciples do. And the disciples aren't always a good example for us to follow in the, in the Gospels, but here they really are. They do a great job at, uh, at witnessing about Jesus. So, how can we introduce Jesus to others? Tip number one, we can honour him. The disciples laid their cloaks out before Jesus. And also in other accounts, we know that he gets palm leaves and they put palm leaves out there. It's like laying out the red carpet. You know, might not look too glamorous for us. Here we are in the 21st century. But that was like the red carpet. It's like, whoa, check out this guy. He needs attention. How can we lay out the red carpet for Jesus in our lives? What can we do? Well, it says in verse 37 that the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. We can honour God by thanking him for the miracles we have seen in the presence of people who don't know Jesus. We can actually say, God did this amazing thing. This is what it was to our, to our non-Christian friends. The biggest miracle of all, whether you have, you know, you might have seen God do a healing or something miraculous like that in your life when someone you love is going the life of someone you love. But the biggest miracle is knowing Jesus, is being saved. We have got a miraculous story to tell people. Some of you will be thinking though, well, I was brought up in a Christian household. Is that really that miraculous? You know, is that really a good story? Yes, it is. It's the best story ever. Just think about that God has made and designed you. We read, what was it, Psalm 139. How God admitted us in our mother's room and all this. He made us. He knows us. He chose to put you into a household of people who already know and love Jesus. That's miraculous. That's fantastic. It is worthy of us to praise and thank God for. I'm so thankful for I was born and raised up in a Christian household. So thankful for it. And we can tell our friends, we can tell our colleagues, you know what, today I'm just really, really thankful for how my parents showed and taught the love of Jesus to me. That's a miracle. We can talk about that miracle. We can also talk to him, uh, talk to others about creation. You heard I've referenced creation a few times. I do love creation. I love a, I love a walk. I love going up a big hill and seeing a beautiful view. You know, even just walking down a street like Eccleshall Road, which is busy, there's still a lot of trees and you can still hear birds singing every now and then. We can thank God for creation. You know, if we, we, can, we can thank God to other people. I'm one fan. Let me tell you a little story. I went up a hill in Macclesfield. I'm from a place called Macclesfield, by the way, near Manchester. And there's a hill called Shutling's Work. Quite a nice hill. Quite a big hill. Beautiful 360 review. And I went up there with a mate of mine. And I didn't purposely do it, but this mate of mine is not following Jesus. Just at the top of it. Wow! Thank you, God, this is amazing. It just, it just came out. I mean, I'm an external processor, so I'm just saying everything that I think, really. Some of you might not be like that, but that's me. And so I just say, wow, God, this is amazing, thank you. Now, my friend didn't say anything. 
possibly thought I was a bit of a weirdo. Who knows? We walked down and we carried on chit-chatting. But we can thank God for things in the presence of people. I'm just asking, I'm just encouraging us to be ourselves in this. We don't have to put a front on. We can just say what we're thinking, wherever we are. If we're in the presence of a load of people who don't know Jesus, and we're thinking in our heads, oh God, thank you for that. We could just say it and verbalise it to people. So we want to honour him. Let our conversations be full of sprinkles of gospel seeds. Little sprinkles. You think of that going into next week. How can I sprinkle gospel seeds into my conversation? So number one, we can honour him. Number two, we can do what he says. The disciples were in a very privileged position. Okay. Jesus says, go here, you do this, get this, do this, done. Sounds good. Sweet, nice one. Off I go. I'm going to go down to the next village. I'm going to pick up coal, and that's what I'm going to do. Because Jesus has told me to do that. What we can take from it is we do what Jesus tells us to do. We do what He says, and it's different from for us. We don't have the Lord Jesus in physical flesh before us speaking to us, but we do have the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is going to teach us things and tell us what to do every day. Let's come before God. Holy Spirit, come and fill me and tell me what you want me to do. Tell me what you want me to do today. If we do that, and we obediently step out of it, God's going to do stuff. So number two, do what he says. Yeah, if, you can, if you're a little bit like, I really don't know what to do, what he says, just pick the Bible, give it a read, and maybe just do something from it. Love your neighbour as yourself. There's the command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Ask yourself a question. How can I love my neighbour this week? Ask God to give you the answer to that question, and do what he tells you to do. Number three. Say what he says. So yes, like I've already explained, the disciples were in a privileged position because they had Jesus there telling them what to do and telling them what to say. Jesus said this early on in Luke chapter 12. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Big phrase in there. At that time. At that time that you are stood before the rules of synagogues, will I give you the words to say? It's in that moment that we get into the position. Sometimes we can be fearful about going, I don't know what I'm going to say when I get into this particular moment. So you know what? You just avoid the moment altogether. That's what we can do. Jesus says that when you get into the situation, you're stood there and you go, I don't know what to say. Holy Spirit, give me the words to say, and words will come. And it's from the Holy Spirit, it's from God Himself. We can trust Him to do that in our lives as we witness to others. We say what He says. Church, it is Easter next week. Yeah? Next week, there is going to be another gospel presentation. And 
my encouragement is, in these next seven days, let honour Jesus in our lives, thanking him for the miracles he's done. Let's do what he says, and let's say what he says. Let's do that in this next week. That might well include telling them, come to the meeting, come to our Easter Sunday meeting this, this coming week. That is my encouragement to you, and I want you to, I'm asking you to obediently do it. To land, I am going to tell you a story. Okay? This story is a true story. It's a story I heard about two or three weeks ago. I went to a conference called Project 23, and Danny Milgan Keynes. It was really good, and we heard some really cool stories. And this story got me. It's a good one. And I've forgotten their names, some of them may have by the way. Guy called Jack. And Jack is sitting in his front room. And he is asking God, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? And he just felt God say, It's about late at night, like half night. Get in your car and drive to a bridge. Alright, I will. He gets in his car, he drives to the bridge. There's a guy called Lewis who is sitting in a car at that bridge. And uh, I forgot what name it was, was it Jack? Yeah. Jack then taps on the window of this car with this fellow called, called Lewis in it. And he says, You alright, mate? You doing alright? Lewis is like, Yeah, I'm fine. What are you doing? He says, Can I pray for you? Yeah, alright. <coughs> Jack prays for Lewis. Jack then just felt God say to him, Invite him to come and stay at your house tonight. <laughs> so Jack does. Lewis looks at him. Now nah, you're alright, mate. Now nah, you're alright. Completely palms in the face. And Jack goes, Oh, okay. Gets back into his car and he drives home. Jack's a kid. What on earth was that about? What's going on there? <clears throat> Let me tell you about Lewis. Lewis is a guy in his early 20s and he has got in with the wrong crowd. He is not just doing drugs, he is dealing drugs. And he's thinking to himself, I'm going to end my life. He gets in the car, he drives to the bridge to go jump off the bridge. He's sitting in that car for, I think, a couple of hours. And he starts to look at the courage to do it, and he gets a knock on the window. And this guy tells him what I just told you. Guy drives off, and Lewis is thinking, okay, what's that about? Turns his car engine on, and Lewis goes home. Later on that day, or later on that day, later on that week, Lewis speaks to the only Christians that he knows. And he says, this is what happened. And they said, Jesus wants to get to know you. Lewis goes to church. Last November, so we're talking six months ago, he gave his life to Jesus, Lewis did. And then three months after that, two months after that, January this year, Lewis was baptised. In that church. Yes. And then Lewis is standing there at Project 23 telling us that story. I'm sitting there. Wow. All Jack did was hear God get in his car and drove to a bridge, knocked on a window, and said, Can I pray for you? Prayed and then drove home. And he's thinking, What on earth am I doing? But he saved someone. 
that's happened in this country in the past few months. What can God do in Sheffield through us? If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're hearing me tell these guys who are Christians, go and do it. It's because we care so much. Jesus is the only answer. Nothing else is the answer. No other God. Nothing is the answer. Jesus is the only way. And we are passionate to want to tell others about him. Amen. Should we stand? I'm going to pray. And then we'll worship. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray, come by the Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, come. Anyone in here who doesn't know Jesus, I pray, introduce yourself to them right now, Holy Spirit. Introduce Jesus to them. And Lord, I ask you to fill us with your spirit and to give us boldness and courage. Come, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.